August the 13th, starting with Proverbs chapter 21, verses 8 through 10. The guilty walk a crooked path. The innocent travel a straight road. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Evil people desire evil. Their neighbors get no mercy from them. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 11. Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea and its boundaries, and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-13 through 13. Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we know, we all know that an idol is not really a God and that there is only one God. There may be so-called gods about, or both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, we, not all believers, know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worshiping of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you, with your superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So, because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something, they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So, 
if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 14 through chapter 7, 73 verse, er, verse 73a. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides forty pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people, but because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire many, any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every ten days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wines. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance, because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember, O oh my God, all that I have done for these people, and bless me for it. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall, and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono, but I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave them the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, Let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him.
They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sambalat have done. And remember, Noadiah, the prophet, and all the prophets like her, who have tried to intimidate me. So, on October the 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son, Johanan, was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told me him then they told him everything I said, and Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. After the wall was finished, I had set up the doors and the gates, and the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites were appointed. I gave the responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother, Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. I said to them, Do not leave the gates open during the hottest part of the day, and even while the gatekeepers are on duty, have them shut and bar the doors. Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve as at entry posts, and some in front of their own homes. At that time, the city was large and spacious, but the population was small, and none of the houses had been rebuilt. So my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city, along with the ordinary citizens, for registration. I had found the genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah. This is what was written there. Here is the list of the Jewish exiles of the provinces who returned from their captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon, but now they returned to Jerusalem and the other towns in Judah where they originally lived. Their leaders were Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baana. This is the number of men of Israel who returned from exile. The family of Parosh, 2,172. The family of Shephatiah, 372. The family of Ara, 652. The family of Pahath Moab, descendants of Jeshua and Joab, uh, 2,818. The family of Elam, 1,254. The family of Zatu, 845. The family of Zakai, 760. The family of Bani, 648. The family of Babai, 628. The family of Asgad, 2,322. The family of Adonaikam, 667. The family of Bigvi, 2,067. The family of Aden, 655. The family of Ater, descendants of Hezekiah, 
98. The family of Hashum, 328. The family of Bazai, 324. The family of Jorah, 112. The family of Gibar, 95. The people of Bethlehem and Notophah, 188. The people of Anothoth, 128. The people of Beth Asmaveth, 42. The pe people of Kiriath Jirim, Kafira, and Biroth, 743. The people of Rama and Geba, 621. The people of Mikmash, 122. The people of Bethel and Ai, 123. The people of West Nebo, 52. The citizens of West Elam, 1,254. The citizens of Harim, 320. The citizens of Jericho, 345. The citizens of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721. The citizens of Sena'a, 3,930. These are the priests who returned from exile. The family of Jediah, through the line of Jeshua, 973. The family of Immer, 1,052. The family of Pashur, 1,247. The family of Harim, 1,017. These are the Levites who returned from exile. The families of Jeshua and Kadmiel, descendants of Hodaviah, 74. The singers of the family of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers of the families of Shalom, Ater, Talman, Akub, Hatayta, and Shobai, 138. The descendants of the following temple servants returned from exile. Zaiha, Hasuf, Hasufa, Tabaoth, Keros, Sayaha, Padon, Lebana, Hagabah, Shalmai, Hanan, Gidel, Gahar, Reaya, Rezin, Nekoda, Gazam, Uza, Pasea, Besai, Meonim, Nefusim, Bakbuk, Hakufe, Harhur, Baluth, Erbazluth, Mahida, Harsha, Barcos, Sisera, Tema, Nazaya, and Hatafa. The descendants of these servants of King Solomon returned from exile. Sotai, Hasophereth, Peruda, Jaala, Darkon, Gedel, Shephatiah, Hatil, Pokereth, Hazbeim, and Ami. In all, the temple servants and the descendants of Solomon's servants numbered 392. Another group returned at this time from the towns of Telmela, Telharsha, Kerub, Adon, and Immer. However, they could not prove that they or their families were descendants of Israel. This group included the families of Deliah, Tobiah, and Nekoda, a total of 642 people. Three families of priests, Hobiah, Hakoz, and Barzillai, also returned. This Barzillai had married a woman who was a descendant of Barzillai of Gilead, and he had taken her family name. They searched for 
their names and in the genealogical records, but they were not found. So they were disqualified from serving as priests. The governor told them not to eat the priest's share of food from the sacrifices until a priest could consult the Lord about the matter by using the Urim and Thummim and sacred lots, these sacred lots. So a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah, in addition to 7,337 servants and 245 singers, both men and women. They took with them 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Some of the family leaders gave gifts for the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold coins, 50 gold basins, and 530 robes for the priests. The other leaders gave to the treasury a total of 20,000 gold coins and some 2,750 pounds of silver for the work. The rest of the people gave 20,000 gold coins, about 2,500 pounds of silver, and 67 robes for the priests. So the priests and Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and some of the common people settled near Jerusalem. The rest of the people returned to their own towns throughout Israel. And that concludes the reading of the word for August the 13th.